All righty. Well, definitely awesome to be here this morning. Definitely uh, have a deep appreciation for the incredible family that God has blessed my wife and myself with here in the South Bay. I had an incredible day yesterday. Started out about 5:30 in the morning. Uh, Jeff, as you know, uh, goes after things very aggressively. And decided last week we were going to have the yard sale to uh, raise the money for special missions contribution. And uh, so we started setting things up Thursday from, from Friday night. The entire garage was filled up and set, ready to go. 5:30 in the morning, I went out and ran around, got some signs up, got our breakfast. And uh, we raised a couple hundred dollars for special missions, which was awesome. I think many of you know, we uh, had the good fortune of being invited out to this church years ago for a garage sale. And Jack was letting everybody know during the course of the garage sale what the funds were going towards. And we're very blessed to have some friends with us. And we met at the yard sale yesterday that are here with us today. So God definitely works in some incredible ways. Amen. You know, last weekend, uh, we had the opportunity to uh, go to Jen J- Johnson's uh, graduation. Uh, it was awesome spending time with them. She graduated with a master's in health administration, which is incredible. Had a great time with them. And then yesterday, just all this family stuff going on. We uh, got to hang out with the Atkins and the Winchies for a little bit after our yard sale, young Christians class, then the Atkins and the Winchies. And there, uh, the Atkins' son, Ryan. Uh, is going to be getting married here soon to a young lady by the name of Valerie, so we were at their shower yesterday afternoon, and now we're here today. Virginia. Is that not what I said? I don't know where that came from. I guess I got the B right, but that was a little off. Anyways, I'm so fortunate to have Jackie, you know? It keeps me on the right path. But, you know, with that, I'm really excited about our new uh, series, Looking Hebrews, probably... My favorite book in the Bible. There is so much meat. There's so many incredible reminders. The uh, book has about six warnings that get, take place through it. And really, from a standpoint of, as Christians, obviously the audience was Jewish. Well, actually, you know what? I'll kind of take us, well, let me back up here a little bit. You know, obviously the title is superior. We get, get the opportunity to see exactly the degree of impact that Jesus has, who he is in relationship to everything that's on out there. Uh, the particular title today is He Radiates, comes out of Hebrews 1 verse 3, which reads, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And for me, it's so incredible to know that what we have through Christ is just that. We have the ability through Jesus to exactly understand what God is all about. It says he is the exact representation. He radiates God. Uh, most of you are familiar with the sun and, and solar flares. That's pretty crazy. From a standpoint of power and energy and the light that it radiates. And we, we know in this day and age when the solar flares cut loose, they knock out our satellites, they can knock out our cell phones. But it has an incredible impact. The definition of radiates says to emit energy, especially light or heat in the form of rays or waves, the hot stars radiate energy of a person, clearly emanate a strong feeling or quality through the expression or bearing. What does Jesus radiate? Jesus radiates God in an incredible way. You know, when it comes to the book of Hebrews, I'm going to give a little bit of history here. Uh, the authors generally believe the unknown, which we'll probably figure that out when we get to heaven. Uh, there's a number of individuals that it is attributed to, Paul, Barnabas, Luke, uh, Paul, 
Uh, Jackie's of the uh, impression that some commentators do agree with her on this, that it was written by Aquila, or excuse me, Priscilla. Jackie refers to it as Hebrews. But uh, I personally believe that it was more than likely Paul. There's a number of things that we can see here. The author was a friend of Timothy, Hebrews 13.23. He was obviously incredibly well-versed in the Old Testament. Uh, he used the same Old Testament quotations that were used by Paul on a couple of occasions. They come from Habakkuk 2.4, which are quoted in Hebrews 10.38, Romans 1.17, and Galatians 3.11. The author closes Hebrews 13.25 with the same blessing that Paul was known for through a number of the epistles which are listed here, Romans 16.20, Galatians 6.18, 1 Thessalonians 5.28, and 2 Thessalonians 3.18, which is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What an incredible blessing, amen? Uh, the date's uncertain. Uh, most people believe it was before 70 AD, and that in Hebrews 10.11, there's still reference to the temple, as well as the offerings that would take place in the temple, uh, most of us realized in 70 AD the temple was destroyed. So from a uh, time standpoint, that's where that information comes from. To who it was written to, uh, it was specifically written to the Jews. And there's a lot of admonitions in it. There's a lot of reminders that take place in it. As I said earlier, there's six warnings that come through the book of Hebrews. Uh, it was written again to a Jewish audience, more than likely second generation Christians that had converted from Judaism. And it's, it's pretty incredible when you think about the Jewish people, it wasn't just a religion. It was a culture. It was a nation. And I mean, you think about changing your religion, the implications that this could have on you as far as your friends, family, your status in society. But ultimately, the purpose of the book was to make sure to the Jews that had been converted, they understood that Jesus Christ was superior to everything. That what they were converted to was what God had been talking about throughout the Old Testament, and that there was a foreshadowing of what was to come through the Old Testament, an illustration, per se, of what would take place versus the reality of what we all have today in Jesus Christ. So Hebrews 1, in verse 16, or excuse me, verses 1 through 6, I'm going to take a look at this here. If you've got a Bible, please uh, feel free to open up and read along with me here says in verse 1, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, who he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. You know, we think of angels. What are the th some of the things that, that come to mind? You know, we see it throughout the media today. There's TV shows on angels. There's, uh, you know, you go into the little uh, Christian bookstores, and you got the little cherubims and the seraphims and all the little cutesy stuff that's attributed to angels. Why all the... It's amazing. It's a multi-gazillion dollar industry. And, you know, when you think it through, when it comes to 
that situation, we need to remember that the truth is that Jesus Christ is superior to the angels. I think sometimes the appeal can be is they're, they're kind of cool. Now, for me, I, I love the Old Testament angels. We, uh, we've got a list of them here. Now, let me get back to you. Give me a second here. You can see, when it, when it comes to angels, there's a number of them that we've had through history. Uh, angels, basically the messenger, pretty much the same thing as the prophets, too. They would bring us the message about God. Uh, the angel of the Lord, representation of God, we see throughout the Old Testament. Uh, there's the archangel Michael, who was above all the angels. I mean, we had a couple of those guys who were these incredible warriors that actually delivered the Israelites in a number of different situations. Some believe that Satan was an archangel, superior to even Michael, before his fall from grace and being sent to hell. There's the angel Gabriel, God's messenger. And again, seraphim who praise God, cherubim who proclaim the glory of God. But as we see here in Hebrews 1, verse 14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? You know, I did a couple of Google searches, and there were a couple of interesting things that I came up with. One, there are tens of millions of references and, and sites when it comes to Angels. This one was rather interesting. The Morningstar Online Angel Oracle. Now you can see, you may be wondering, what is all this angel guidance stuff on there? Well, you can click on, and it will give you an angel that will take care of you for a specific purpose. And you know, that particular angel may not meet your needs. So you click on another one, and another one, and eventually they start charging you for that guidance the deeper into the website that you get. So, you know, angels can be profitable. From a standpoint of searches, I searched uh, angel guidance for over 15 million results. And then, continuing the search a little bit later, modern-day angel worship, 23 million sites. I mean, there are religions built around angel worship. But, you know, here's the, here's the description of the truth here when it comes to Jesus Christ. He is the appointed heir of all things. Through him God made the world. He's the exact representation of God's glory. He eliminated our sins before God. He is now seated at the right hand of God on high. Jesus is superior to the angels. Verses 4 through 14. He's the son. Angels are not. Firstborn. He's enthroned at the right hand of God. He's Lord. Yahweh. He's sovereign. I mean, it's just on and on and on and on to the extent of the power of Christ. So again, why the fascination... With angels. Well, when you think about angels, are there any requirements? And I think the, the bigger one beyond that, though, when we think through angels, any angels die for us? Any angels shed their blood for us? And, you know, with that, there is an expectation in following Jesus Christ, and I think that's the appeal of angels. It's moot, they're neutral, it's easy. But it doesn't lead to a life of purpose or a life of impact. You know, why the admonishment to the Jews and to us? Well, what can be some of the things beyond angels that can become superior in our lives today? I think there's so many things that, that can supersede our relationship with God. You know, obviously with the Jews, it was the old covenant, what they were used to, their culture, their nation, angels. For us today, it can be the same things. Where did we come from? What were we a part of? How does our family perceive what we're doing today? It can be our jobs. Our jobs can be superior to Christ. Our kids can be superior to Christ. 
I mean, how many of us at some time or another haven't made a decision for what we view as the sake of our children? There's been something that created major challenges for us down the road because it wasn't in accordance with what God has established for us in our roles as parents. You know, it can be school, it can be money, it can be our time, and what we do with our time. But keeping in mind, as the admonishment was given to the Jews here in the first century, that same admonishment holds true for us today. Jesus is superior to these things as well. You know, in Hebrews 2, the author interprets, or excuse me, the author in Hebrews 2 actually interrupts this this, uh, information about who Jesus is and his superiority with the first of six warnings. And the first one is the warning against drifting away. Hebrews 2, verse 1, it reads, So we must listen very carefully to the truth that we have heard, or we may drift away from it. For the message of God delivered through the angels has always stood firm, and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miraculous miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit wherever he chose. You know, we look at this message. I think one of the things that really needs to stand out and we need to hold on to each and every day is, what do we have through Christ? We have great salvation. And you know, and this was spoken by the Lord himself at first, and it was confirmed to those who heard, the apostles. God bearing witness through signs, wonders, miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, we see this somewhere else in the Bible. Acts 2. What happened on the day of Pentecost? Peter stood up and he preached this incredible message about who Jesus Christ was, what he had done, what he had died for, who he had shed his blood for. And then he went on again addressing Jews and that, guys, it's real clear. We know this because of what? The miracles, wonders, and signs that were performed through the Holy Spirit. And then when the, when the people heard this, they wanted to know what they needed to do to get right with God. And Peter told them. and said they were cut to the heart. Acts 2.38, what did Peter go on to say? We need to be baptized and repent for the forgiveness of our sins. And then we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's a, one of the things I love about Scripture is the continuity that takes place throughout. And I love the, the impact of God's Word. You know, there, there's a couple that... Uh, I've grown very, has grown very dear to me on a number of different fronts. Uh, many of you know Jay and Rachel Johnson. Uh, if you haven't gone fishing with Jay, you've really missed out. Uh, I, I, I'm telling you, we get together Jay, Perry, uh, Rick Dabney from time to time. I, I, I can't remember when I've laughed so hard as when I get out with these guys fishing. You know, they, they bag on me a little bit, but you know, I, that's, you know, not unusual. Um, but it's a really great time. But the reason I'm bringing this up is when it comes to drifting, you know, Rachel, there was a period of time where she was drifting for a while. And the same thing had taken place with Jay. But the thing that I love about the two of them is they have the humility to allow God's word back into their lives and to have this incredible impact. I mean, I love hanging out with Jay. We have our young Christians class. He is the most incredible asset I have in that class. One, his attendance in the class, he doesn't have to be there. But some of the things that he shares, some of the pearls that he shares, the vulnerability, the openness, it's really spurred on and helped some of these other young Christians that are in the group when it comes to the challenges they have in life. I love seeing Rachel up on stage. I hear she's going to be singing 
with our group up here on, on Father's Day, which I'm really looking forward to. Jay keeps trying to get me out to karaoke. I don't know that uh, that's ever going to happen. He may be a little bit bigger than me, but I think I can hold my own. And beyond that, I don't think anybody wants to hear me sing anyway. So, but, you know, I think just, just thinking through that thing, there's another gentleman that I was kind of drifting there for a while, and I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this, but I, I love the joy that I see with Rick Huerta again. You know, just really the way he's been going after things. On, on the Facebook page, I don't know if you guys saw it or not, he had all the boys in his dugout on their knees and the little bench that they've got in there praying before their game. I mean, it is the coolest picture. But I was thinking through the impact and the power of God's Word, but then with that too, the, the, the significance and the fact that we need to really acknowledge the fact that there are absolutely none of us that are above drifting. There's an incredible quote by a gentleman by the name of Barclay, William Barclay, he's, writes, he's a commentator writer. And I think with this, we'll see this in this passage, is that truth, the truth is, any of us can drift. It says, for most of us, the threat of life is not so much that we should plunge into disaster, but that we should drift into sin. There are few people who deliberately, and in a moment, turn their backs on God. There are many who day by day, drift farther and farther away from Him. There are not many who in one moment of time commit some disastrous sin. There are many who bit by bit and almost imperceptibly involve themselves in some situation and suddenly awake to find that they have ruined life for themselves and broken someone else's heart. We would do well to be continually on the alert against the peril of drifting life. I, this is one of the most incredible things I've ever read when it comes to this passage. And, you know, we, we think about sin and its immediacy and where it can go, but drifting can be a form of compromise. You know, we, we, we've been out at Palm Springs and they got those lazy rivers, and man, I mean, I'm telling you, it's cool. You sit there on that inner tube, you know, you got the sun beaming down on you, and you drift. The water kind of keeps you cool. It's comfortable. And that's what can happen with sin and compromise. And before you know it, Something disastrous is taking place. It doesn't happen in a moment. It takes place over time. And I had the opportunity uh, last week with the brothers on staff. We had a uh, retreat up in the in Kern Valley. Great time of praying, fellowship, food, and we had a little white water rafting. And, you know, it's amazing, those rivers. Uh, there's about 2,000 cubic square feet of Water that, that goes by a point at one time, if I remember the, the stats on that correctly, there's probably an engineer in the group that can correct me on what I just said, but it's a lot of water and it's moving very fast. And there's a lot of big boulders that that water is moving at and through and towards very fast. Uh, the particular stretch of the river we were in, they, they were rated as, they were, the uh, rapids were rated as threes and fours. The fours are pretty cool. Next year, though, I want to get back up there. They have a section with fives in it that you have to take mules to get your equipment in and that kind of thing that's... Uh, a little hairier, but uh, we had a guide, and I'm telling you, if we hadn't had a guide, I would have done some stupid things, because there were these little tributaries, and you look at these little whoop-de-doos, and the boulders, and the way the water's moving, and dude, that looks cool! The guy's all, no, we're not going that way, we're going over here. <laughs> and, you know, and as you get further down the river, you look over, and it's like, oh, okay, I'm glad he's in the back of the boat. You know, I've got a, I've got a couple pictures here, when it comes to that whole situation, as far as drifting. That's what happens without a guide. That don't look like a whole lot of fun to me. You know, I don't know if he's getting ready to do a face plant on that boulder or not, but 
you can kind of Google whitewater rafting and you'd be blown. I mean, people die. Uh, there's a, a river in Georgia where it, it's a rumor that this woman shot down this chute, a couple of inches of water, boulders on both sides, hit it wrong, and her shin was implanted in her hip. The impact in her little kayak and these boulders. So it can, you know, it can get a little crazy. There's another little situation. Now, our, the guys in our raft did awesome. I'm not going to name the names of the other guys in the other raft. They had some issues as they were going down the uh, river there. But, you know, the bottom line is we need a guide. We need a good guide. We need someone that can keep us on the right path and move us in the right direction. And that's what we've got through Christ. And you can see here we had a guy. I mean, he's kind of sitting there in the back. He's up high. He can survey everything that's going on. And he'd be like, okay, you know, two times left, two times right. You know, what in... Okay, stop, because there were times I got a little overzealous, and I'm cranking, I'm cranking, and things started turning around, which wasn't the thing that you were, you know, looking for there. But we got uh, Steve Stevenson back left, Marco uh, front left. I'm uh, in the front on the other side. Uh, Anthony Glang's hiding behind me, and then you've got Al Baird all the way back in the back. And, man, Al is awesome. I mean, I love Al Baird. 71 years old. He's almost got me by 20. That's who I want to be when I grow up. Amen. But, you know, I think to say all that, you can imagine the damage and the danger in just drifting, just allowing things to happen randomly. So just really realizing we need a guide. Hebrews 2.14 says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the Son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Now, what an incredible God. We have that he would send Jesus Christ in this capacity for us. You know, just knowing how superior Christ is, what it was that took place at Calvary that ushered us into a relationship with God. What I want to do right now is I want to give us eight reasons as to why Jesus did what he did and the outcome of it. You know, I think back to the passage we just read. You know, it talks about the fear of death. I feel like I'm on a ramp here. Calvin, you want to come up and do a walk-off with me here? <laughs> I mean, this is, this is crazy. What is with this thing? Anyway, you know, I just, just looking back, remembering how before I became a Christian, those sleepless nights. I mean, and there, there were times where literally the thought of going into nothingness paralyzed me. I, I mean, I just I, I, I couldn't get it out of my head. Is this all there is? But coming into a relationship with Christ and knowing that Jesus Christ destroys that fear. I, I don't lose sleep over what happens when I die. Lose a little sleep over my kids. want to make sure I'm around make sure that they stay on the right path, marry the right people and all that good stuff. And that's probably a lack of faith in God on my part too. But anyways, looking at this situation with Jesus here. Eight reasons Jesus was made lower than the angels and became flesh. He tasted death for each and every one of us. He brings all of us to glory that stay surrendered to Him. He died, became flesh, 
to be made perfect through his suffering. We know that the wage of sin is death. He was sinless, so therefore that there was no wage that he was sentenced to. Because of that sinlessness, he was able to rise from the grave. The grave had no power over him. To destroy the devil who had power over death, to release those in bondage through fear of death. That was me. To give aid to the seed of Abraham. Again, each and every man that's ever walked on the face of this planet. To be a merciful and faithful high priest. And to aid those who are tempted, having suffered temptation himself. You know, we, we, we think about gods. You know, the Greek gods and Roman gods and the dysfunction and the power. And none of them ever had the attitude that our God in heaven has. And that he was willing to send us a Savior to come down in the flesh himself to die for us. But with that right now, we're going to take our, our break for communion as we, we just reflect on the passage that we just went through, and then I'll pick it up in uh, chapter 3 after we uh, take the uh, fruit of the vine and the bread. Let's go ahead and uh, bow our heads and pray. Well, Father, uh, on one hand, it's very sobering when we think about what Jesus went through, uh, knowing that none of us are worthy, yet when we were at our worst, God, you sent us your best through Christ. And just looking at the, the things that he was willing to go through, but more importantly, the things that he was able to be victorious over, which gives us the reason to celebrate as well. Because as we surrender to Christ and make Jesus Christ Lord of our lives, we too can be victorious not only of this life, but life for eternity, knowing that we'll be able to spend eternity in heaven with you. Father, I pray that we'll never lose sight of the sacrifice that took place at Calvary, that as the author of Hebrews listed a number of warnings, because we are in the flesh. We can drift. We can lose sight and forget about the miracles that have taken place in our lives. Father, I pray that each and every day we can wake up, we can go to your word, and we can see the examples of what Jesus is willing to do for us so that we could have life with you and life now to the full. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and uh, pick up in... Hebrews 3, starting in uh, verse 1. Hebrews 3, verse 1 reads, Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest, whom we confess. There's a number of things that stand out here. It kind of starts out with how we're being addressed. It says, therefore, holy brothers. Holy, hagioi, means to be set apart or separated to Christ. We are holy. We're set apart. We have this incredible relationship to be a brother to Christ. And because of this, we need to be following and focusing and giving our attention to what Jesus Christ has established for us. There in that passage, it says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. You know, that's usually when we get ourselves in trouble, right? When we, we lose sight, we forget the great salvation, we forget the miracles. You know, my, my wife and I have been absolutely thrilled. We've got a young couple that we've been studying the Bible with. And it's just amazing how that drift can be there. And when we're not focusing our attention on where it needs to be. And they've kind of gone through a desert period in their in their lives and their marriage, but it's been so encouraging to us to see how they've responded to God's Word and the happiness that's being ushered into that relationship that they have with each other and with God and that deeper understanding. And 
I know Jackie and I are super proud of uh, Tyler and Lindsay and just the incredible progress that they've been making in the relationship with God, but seeing them happy, seeing them vibrant, and hearing from them actually acknowledging the miracles that are taking place in their lives because of the Word of Christ when we fix our eyes and thoughts on Jesus. You know, verses 2 through 5, the author again goes through the superiority of Christ. You know, Moses in the Promised Land, again, being kind of an illustration of what was to come in heaven. Jesus being superior over Moses. And we know that when Moses was viewed as being faithful in God's house, Moses didn't make it to the Promised Land, though. You know, there's a passage for me that's incredibly poignant. It's the only passage that I'm going to veer off from today out of the book of Hebrews. And that's a passage in Deuteronomy 34, verse 5. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. And it talks about how God had taken Moses up to the top of Mount Nebo in Moab and looked down over all that was to become theirs, that was going to be the inheritance to the descendants of that generation that was lost, floundering around in the desert for 40 years. And it must have been such an incredibly amazing sight. And then in verse 5 it says, And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab. In the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day, no one knows where his grave is. And for me, that's just such an incredible passage. God was with Moses on the top of that mountain. And you know, I can just imagine, this is it. After those 40 years, and then dying. And I think understanding the relationship that God had with Moses, knowing that through the angel of the Lord spoke to Moses 40 years prior in that, in that burning bush, letting him know what was going to be taking place. And to have that kind of a relationship with God, but not to enter because he hadn't obeyed God. You know, just re, uh, relying on his power, God told him to call water out of the stone, and out of his frustration with the people, him striking the rock. That, that one moment, when we lose focus, we, we don't fix our eyes and thoughts on our Creator, the implications that can take place because of that. You know, we think through the situation again, though. Jesus is superior to Moses. He built and is faithful over God's house. In the New Living Translation, it says, we are God's house in that passage. And that's what we have as family when we're united through Christ. In Hebrews 3, verse 7, it says, That is why the Holy Spirit says today, when you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did, when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. You know, it's a passage that applies to us today. When we look at this, it says, that is why the Holy Spirit says, that is present tense. The Holy Spirit is still speaking us today through this passage and through Jesus Christ. Through someone who is superior to every prophet, to every angel, to everyone that had come before him. You know, we think about this for a minute. Shouldn't this really get our attention? We look at what took place in the desert. I mean, I, it just it boggles my mind to have been delivered through the Red Sea, to be walking with water on both sides. And for the fishermen in the group, that probably would have been pretty incredible to see some of the stuff swimming to our left and right as we walked through. But that miracle in and of itself is seeing the Egyptians destroyed as they came cruising through after the Israelites. And then God telling them, I will meet your needs, providing them manna. 
All their necessities were met. They had food. They had water. When they grumbled and complained about the water, what did God do? He sent them quail to replace the manna. That wasn't good enough. You know, just the expectation. You know, it's funny. I don't think human nature changes. We're, we're every bit as expectant today as those Israelites were. And I think each and every one of us has seen so many incredible miracles already take place in our lives. We know what we've been delivered from. We were delivered out of Egypt. We were delivered out of slavery. We were delivered out of that bondage to Satan. But we lose sight and we forget about that great salvation. And what took place? That entire generation perished in the desert. God met their necessities, but the Israelites really approached God as though God should meet their expectations. That God needed to be the one to meet their approval instead of the other way around. And I think we've got to be careful because we can go there too. That's why we're called to pay attention, that we need to take heed to what God has established before us. I must keep hitting this button. <laughs> Talking with my fingers, my hands. There we go. So as we move forward here to Hebrews 3, verse 12. It says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful and believing heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence that we had at first. As has been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. You know, the failure of Israel was they failed to see it. They failed to trust God. And because of that, they slipped into sinful, unbelieving hearts. They didn't take heed. You know, I think the, the great failure of men and women today is exactly the same thing. Unbelief. People just don't take God at His word. We don't believe what He says or what He lays out. And I know I can struggle sometimes when it comes to the timetables. I don't understand God's timing. I don't think ever. I mean, it's nice to be able to look back and say, oh, that's what He meant, or oh, that's what He was doing, or that's how He was working, or oh, you know, you have those aha moments. But you know, I think a part of that is though because I do forget. I lose sight on a daily basis, of the incredible, great salvation that God has given me through Jesus Christ. And I think part of that, when it comes to that timing, is what do we try to do? Just like the Israelites. We want control. I know there's a few sisters out there that control is a major deal. Right? And what it is, is when we take control, what is it we're tapping out on? We don't want to be surrendered anymore. We want to take prisoners. We don't want to be surrendered. We don't want to wait on God. We don't want to believe because what well, isn't happening the way I want it or the time that I wanted it or the way that I prayed about it or why the reason I asked for it. You know, God is omnipotent. He knows where things are going to go. He knows what the outcome is going to be. And that's when we've got to get surrendered, just like we saw earlier in that raft. We've got to be surrendered to that guide that God has put in our life through Jesus, Jesus Christ. The Israelites, they took control. Their way, not God's way. They have forgotten the miracles, and we can forget the miracles. But again, think back to how God's worked in your life. Think back to the power of the Word. Think back to the things that you've changed. Think back to the things that you've been able to overcome that you never were able to overcome. I mean, the biggest one for me was cursing. I, I tried everything under the sun. 
I mean, it was so ingrained in my daily life, in my daily vocabulary. I mean, you know, there were times where the F word was punctuation. And, you know, it, it's, it's sad that that's how powerless we can be without being surrendered to God and remembering the list of things that Jesus did for us in Hebrews 2. That's why the reminders, that's why we need the Scriptures, that's why we need the Bible on a daily basis, that's why we need each other. There are times I look in the mirror, man, I think i got it going on, I'm doing good, I don't need anybody, things are awesome. And then, you know, somebody like Andy or Calvin or Dave or in this endless list, Jay, Rick, whoever, smack me upside the head and, dude, you're not all that. You need to get back into the Word. You need to repent. You need to apologize to your wife. You need to apologize to your kid. What are you thinking? What are you saying? And that's where that exhorting, that encouragement, having others, family, Making sure that we've got others in our lives. Some of you, you're flirting with disaster because you think you got it going on. And you're that island and I don't need anybody and I don't want to be real and I don't want to be vulnerable. I've gotten hurt before. Well, guess what? You're going to get hurt again. But if you're relying on yourself, the degree of hurt you're going to bring down on yourself is going to make anything else in any form of interaction you've ever had in any, with anybody pale in comparison. See, if we believe God, we really believe God, then the more we need to go through life's challenges with Him, the more we'll learn to draw near God, the more we'll learn to fellowship God, to trust God, to depend upon God, to walk with God on a daily basis. You know, it's the reason God created us, to know Him and to fellowship Him. And the only way that we could ever get to know Him and to fellowship with Him is to learn to trust Him more and more on a daily basis. You know, where does trust come from in relationships? I mean, is it there the first time you meet somebody? Never. It's not the case. You develop trust over time. And that's the same way it is with God. And how do we spend time with God? Prayer and the Word, the basics. We need to make sure that we're integrating these things in our lives. You know, the Israelites, they just never learned that God's way was belief and trust. And that's God's way with us today. Belief and trust. Bring this in for landing here. You know, another truth. There are three things that can keep us from God or lead us away from God. Developing an evil heart of unbelief. You know, the Israelites, they no longer believed that God would take care of them. They lost trust, began to criticize, grumble, and complain. That's one of the first places that you can go. You know, when it comes to our control and our timing, we start questioning God's ability to work in our lives. Number two, departing from the living God. No longer interested in God's way. Wanted to go back to where they came from. And we can do that. I've had those moments. You know, where I've looked at maybe a job that I had at one point in time. Thinking, well, you know, there was a lot more money there. It was a lot easier there. Maybe the situation was more fun. Whatever the case may be. And you start thinking, you know, it was better back there. Just like the, Egypt, the Israelites when it came to Egypt. How could anything that God had done for them make slavery look good? Yeah, it's amazing how we can justify things in our own minds. You know, becoming hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. No longer living in, interested in living in accordance with God. And that's why it's so important to be open. That's why we need to confess. We need to be vulnerable. We need to be real with one another. Because if we're not, 
we become hardened. And that drift becomes not those threes and fours, but fives and anything beyond that that isn't even measurable because people can't go down through it. But that's where we can go when we harden our hearts to God. Practicals this morning, truth. There are four things that can serve as an antidote to the things that can damage our relationship with God. We saw them this morning in Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, and Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. We need to be aware of drifting. One of, the, one of the ways of doing that is remembering the miracles and the power of Christ. we got to stay involved. This family we've got, we need to be involved with each other. We need to be involved in the Word. We need to learn to trust and depend upon God for everything in our lives. Number two, we need to beware of unbelief. And you know, where does belief come from? Here in the Word, right? Bible is the key. Faith, belief comes from hearing the word. You got challenges, you got issues, you revert in old habits. I'll put before you unequivocally without a doubt, you're not in the word. And if you are, it's very, very superficial. Because the, the word gives us the ability to overcome everything. It comes back. If we're in it, it never comes back empty. Number three, we need to encourage one another daily. We all have ups and downs. The bottom line is we are created as relational beings. We need God, and we need each other. Fellowship each other in God. And then finally, number four, hold firmly to the confidence we had at the beginning to the end. You know, we need to remember the things that we first heard. The basics. You know, all of us have studied through the Bible that are part of the congregation. We know what God lays out. We know what God establishes. We know the miracles that have taken place in our lives. We know the miracles that enabled Jesus Christ to ascend back into heaven. So we need, to, we need to walk with God. We need to remember our great salvation. And finally, always hold on to the miracles in our lives. You know, one of the things I love about miracles, I look back at the things that have taken place in my life. Are, are, are any of you where you want to be right now? Done, dialed in, good? See, the thing I like about looking back to the miracles in my life not, not the areas that Satan can use to be attractive, but the way God has worked in my life. I look at those miracles, and it gives me a vision for what God can continue to do in my life. The grace has continued to be poured out on a daily basis. The relationship that I've been blessed with on a daily basis. The bigger and better and greater things that I can do for God in God's kingdom. Guys, I love you. Amen. God bless.